at Exodus chapter 20, verse 16 to get us started. Uh, but that is not the only place we're going to be looking. We're going to be looking uh, many different places in the Word of God. I'd like to start with Romans chapter 3 and looking at verse 4. It says, Rather, rather let God be found true, though every man be found a liar, as it is written that thou mightst be justified in thy words and mightst prevail when thou art judged. The Word of God is very clear that our words mean something. This morning we are looking at the commandment that has to do with thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. Over this past year, I have seen so much false things going around. And people repeating them. Uh, I have had everything from really good stuff to stuff that was just plain garbage come my direction. And people thought it was great. And then they passed it on and repeated it. False statements that are made to you, please don't repeat them. Unless you can independently verify what you've been told is true. Because you become a part of passing on something that is not true. You are bearing a false witness. A witness is something that says, I have evidence. I have the truth. I can verify what I'm saying. In fact, as last week we talked about critical thinking. Critical thinking requires that when we think, we have accurate information. Information that is not in dispute. And we need to make sure that everything that we base our life on is based on verifiable, true information. The fact is, you know what really bothers me more than anything else over the past year? Pastors and Christians who have passed on stuff that is just absolutely unverifiable. And fact is, I know what the Bible says about false prophets. There are pastors, people sent me the videos, and I looked at them, I'm going, I'm waiting for this guy to repent and confess that he was a false prophet. Because I heard all kinds of stuff, and when it didn't come true, I didn't hear a single word about I was wrong. Pastor, bearing false witness. Christians, I've heard people say, well, this information came from Christians. And so it came from Christians. It has to be true. These are really good people. I'm not going to doubt you. They're really good people, but they passed you on some really bad information. It's called a false witness. False witness comes in many directions. We will get to that at the very end of the sermon. In the next 25 minutes or so, we're going to look at a number of things from the Word of God. First of all, why is this commandment really important? It is probably the basis of every one of the other commandments, from what I can tell. In fact, is the bottom line, I think there are three main things that go with this. This command guards against ruining the reputation or the life of another person. You go, it's only words. Oh yeah, that's exactly right. It is only words. But words make a huge difference. 
thing I've used in counseling over and over again is the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Lie, lie, lie. Words last way longer than a bruise does. And they go much deeper. That's why this commandment is so important. It guards against unjustifiable injury. If you tell the truth, it may bring judgment to somebody else. But notice that what I emphasize, unjustifiable. You see, if somebody did something wrong or criminal or illegal or whatever, and you testify against them, oh, they might get jail time. They could get a death penalty. They could pay a fine. That's an injury to that person. But it's justifiable. Lying or false witness brings unjustifiable Again, uh, something unjustifiable against that person. And the last thing, the last of the three is that it maintains stability within any group of people. That can be a country. You want to see what bad information has done to our country? Look around you. People at each other's throats for no good reason in some cases. Because bad information was passed around. Churches ripped apart because of bad information that gets passed around. Rumors, gossip, just plain bad information. Families torn apart because somebody decided they had a burr under their saddle and starts saying things that weren't true. Friends, communities, you name it, it doesn't matter. You see, we teach that if we're brothers and sisters in Christ, that we should be able to trust each other. My word should be my bond. I'm not against the handshake and I'm not against the contract. But you know what? A handshake and a contract can be violated. My word should never be violated. And so my word goes first and maybe a handshake, maybe a contract. But it's my word. This commandment affects Every part of our life. I, don't, I can't think of anything that it doesn't. It absolutely is a part of a church. And that's why I appreciate what the elders do uh, when trying to replace me. They've been right up front. I'm not a part of that process, by the way. I know very little of what's going on. No little bit. But uh, they've been up front. And they've said, here's where we are. And what I know... They're telling you exactly what what Scott told you this morning is exactly what's happening. Definition for lying. Got to have a definition for whatever you're going to talk about. Lying is the giving of a false statement or information that deliberately, this is not a mistake we're talking about here, folks, or a little goof up. This is deliberate, intentional perverting of the truth and deviation for what is being pre- from what the truth is with the intention intention of deceiving any intent to deceive is a lie or a false witness i'll talk about how you can do that at the very end of the sermon the whole idea is that lying is almost always i said almost we're not going to have time to look at 
what I did in sermons in the past about, is it ever okay to lie or any of those kinds? That's not the sermon this morning. I've already talked about that in the past. But the motive of lying is usually selfishness, self-centeredness, or self-interest. Notice the word self in each one of those. I'm trying to get away with something that I shouldn't get away with or trying to get something accomplished that I shouldn't be accomplishing. There are a number of words in the Old Testament that deal with this. And you might say, you're making a big deal out of this. You're right, I am. I'm taking it very seriously. You're right, I am. You know why? Because I know what God says in the Old Testament, in the law. He takes it very seriously. And when you see it, you go, wow, we don't take it this seriously. For example, in Exodus chapter 23, verse 8, it says, You shall not take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of the just. You realize that a bribe is paying for a lie. You ever think about it that way? I didn't until this week. But if you give a bribe, you're paying somebody to lie, to present a false witness, false testimony. It's that kind of thing. In fact, is he says, you shall not uh, steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. You realize that there's no commandment that doesn't say, thou shall not cheat. Right? There's nothing that says that. But you know what? If you present somebody else's term paper as yours, you are deceiving. You're saying, that's my words. That's my work. But it's not. You're deceived. You're trying to deceive the professor or the teacher. You know, if you give the answers to a test and you say, these are my answers and they're somebody else's, you're trying to deceive. It is a lie. So cheating is actually lying in many cases. Not every case, but most cases. So you start to understand that this is a big subject. It's not just I deliberately outright told a big fib. No, it's more than that. Any attempt to deceive is going to be the bottom line of what we're going to look at. Now, he goes on to say that um, we are to not be a false witness. A witness, biblically, is a first-hand knowledge of what happened. The New Testament makes it clear that um, in church discipline, in Matthew chapter 18, you know what? The first place you go is you're the person that knows about it. You go and try to deal with it. If that doesn't work, you take witnesses. These are people that know what actually happened. It's not your friends who... I'll stick up for you. That's not it at all. A witness is a first-hand situation that you know exactly what happened. I, I like to use this term, and I only learned this term a little while. You know what a witness mark is? Well, I do. So I'll tell you what it is from my point of view. I do a lot of mechanical work, and I tear stuff apart, and I never did this before, but nowadays, if I tell somebody how to do something, they go, here, let me get my cell phone. They get their cell phone out and start taking pictures. I'm old school. I just rip stuff apart and put it out someplace, and then I have to figure out how to put it back together. Some of you know what I'm talking about. How do I know how to put it back together? There are witness marks. I see a rub mark here, and I know, well, something has to go there. If I see a a hole that has a, 
a ring around it, and I go, a bolt goes in there, or the shaft goes, I see it war. I know, it's a witness mark. I know where it belongs. I, it is giving evidence to what belongs where. That's first-hand knowledge of that whole thing. Now, I had already mentioned that it has to be more than one witness. In Numbers chapter 35, verse 30, it says this, If anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death at the evidence of witnesses, plural. But no person shall be put to death on the testimony of one witness. It always has to be multiple sources. I mentioned this last week that some people say, well, I heard about this from three different sources. Check your sources, and many times you find out they all come from one source. That's not multiple sources. That's one source told three different ways. He's saying, no, that, that you have to take this whole thing seriously. Because if you're going to bring an accusation, it better be somebody who knows exactly what happened. But in Deuteronomy chapter 17, he gets a little more specific. In that case, he said, there are people that are worshiping other gods and serving other gods. And uh, obviously, that was something that he had said is idolatry. Remember, I said this whole thing of false witness and, and deceiving comes from, it touches on all the other commandments. And he goes on to say, you know, that person who's done these things, in this case, idolatry under the law, he said, you shall stone them to death, death penalty attached. But here's what he says, starting in verse 6. On the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses, he who is to die shall be put to death. He shall be put, not put, be not, not put to death on the evidence of one witness. The hand of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death. After that, the hand of all the people. You shall purge evil from among you. Notice, if you're going to bring an accusation, you better stand behind it. Because he says, under the law, he said, if you're going to bring an accusation, don't say, uh, here's my testimony, somebody else do the judgment. He says, oh no. The person, in this case, idolatry, is to be stoned. And if you're the one, one of those two or three witnesses, you are the ones that pick up the big goonies first and throw it at the person who was committing idolatry. You better be able and willing to stand behind what you accuse somebody of. That's very clear. If you don't believe how that works, go to John chapter 8 and look up the story of the woman caught in adultery. The old guys got it. Jesus put them on the spot. There he left first because they realized that they weren't willing to do it because they weren't doing according to the law. Go look it up. I I don't have time to go into that. But in Deuteronomy chapter 19, it's talking again. And it says, A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter must be confirmed. Same thing over and over again, if you notice. It has to be verifiable, and it's not ever one person. You see, somebody might have done you wrong in the past, and now they did something, and you want to get back at them. 
You know what? You could make life pretty miserable. You could ruin their reputation or their life by your testimony. He says, no, it's never that way. It has to be multiple witnesses. It has to be verified. But now, he goes, the matter will be confirmed. Verse 16. If a malicious witness rises up against a man to accuse him of wrongdoing, then both of them who have the dispute shall go before the priests and the judges, and they'll do a thorough investigation. And if the witness is false, and he has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him just as he had intended to do to his brother. Thus, you shall purge evil from among you. Not only if you bring an accusation, you have to be the one to carry out the death penalty, carry out the punishment. But if you falsely accuse somebody, whatever you accuse them of, whatever would have been the end consequence, that goes to you. In legal terms, that's perjury. We have violated that so bad in our society, it's not even funny. But you know what? God says, I take this seriously. And if you're going to accuse somebody falsely, and it's proven that you accuse them falsely, whatever would have been their consequence, you get it. If it's a death penalty, it's a death penalty. If it's imprisonment, it's imprisonment. If it's a fine, it's a fine. Whatever it is. Does God take this commandment seriously? You better believe he does. And he doesn't mince words. He makes it very clear. The New Testament tells us where this whole idea of lying comes from. But you know where I'm going. Going to John chapter 8. Because there it tells us who the father of lies is. It's very clear. It says, you are, and this is talking to unbelievers at the moment. You are of your father the devil and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. Notice that's the opposite of you know, truth. truth is the opposite of a false witness. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Folks, you still have an old nature. I hope all of you have trusted Christ as your Savior. You have a new nature. But the old nature is never reformed or never eradicated. It just never is. It's there. Now, you may get mad at me for this next thing. Because you might say, I would never do that. But I'll challenge you anyway, because I know who I am, and I'm not any different than you. If something bad happens, and I'm like, man, I'm going to get in trouble for this. <sighs> you know, I really was stupid, or I really did something wrong. My mind first thinks, what can I say to get out of this? You know what? Because I still have an old nature. Now, I'm not telling you I do that. Hopefully, I don't. If I do, you need to call me on it. But I, that, that default mode is, what can I say to get out of this? How can I miti- mitigate the, the consequences? And I'm going to guess if you're honest with yourself, you're right there. But we have the ability by the power of the Holy Spirit, the truth of the Word of God, and our new nature to make the right choice and not be a false witness. To tell a lie or to min- minimize whatever happened. But we have, we have someone that's against us. He's the father of lies. In fact, as I know I can prove this because in Ephesians chapter 4, 
verses 24 and 25, it says, put on the new self. That's the new nature, writing to Christians, which is created in the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness of the truth. The new nature doesn't tell lies. The old nature definitely does because it comes from Satan. Then he goes on to repeat what we see in the Old Testament. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Remember I said this whole thing about witnesses and being truthful brings stability. He says, we're members of one another. We're in this together, folks. And we need to be able to trust each other. In fact, is when the one of the only places in the New Testament where it says, hey, the law still has some validity is not for believers. The law is not for a righteous person. This is First uh, Timothy chapter one, verse one. I mean, first Timothy chapter one, eight to eleven. It says the law isn't writ- written for a righteous man. But for those who are in lawless, rebellious, and right smack in the middle, it says, and liars and perjurers. You know what? The law points us out and says, hey, you lied. You deceived. That was false. Oh, you spoke legally against someone else. You perjured yourself. The New Testament continues to go on to the very end of the, the, end of the book. And it says, in heaven, the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, guess who isn't inside? Lots of people, murderers and bad people of all sorts, and liars. See, God takes this whole thing seriously. But let's bring it down in just what I hope is going to be very, very practical. So why do we lie? I have ten things. You might identify with one or two of them. You might identify with all of them. You know what number one is going to be? We lie to cover up sin. We know we have definitely intentionally done something sinful and we lie to cover it. That's number one. I think that's the biggie of all of them. We do it for personal gain. You lie on a resume so you can get another job or you lie so you can get some kind of benefit or whatever it is. You lie, false testimony. So you can gain for yourself. The get ahead in life would be the second part to that. To inflate our egos. I caught a fish this big. (laughs) Nobody laughed. They laughed at the last service. I guess I just got to get rid of jokes. But the whole point is we do it to make ourselves look good. I I don't want to seem just normal. I want people to think highly of me. So I exaggerate. I inflate my ego. We do it to take advantage of other people. They're naive. I can get away with it. I can just twist the truth just a little bit and I can get away with it. Take advantage of other people. It's a form of a false witness. It gets way worse because it's to tear down other people. You know what? They just, this person just did something and I am just going to twist that and make it bad because uh, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, this person did me wrong one time, and I'm going to make sure they pay. Now, we do those devious things. You know, 
And, and sometimes we don't even think about it. I hope that this reminds us, hey, check your words. Check how you're thinking first and then check your words. Make sure you put your brain in gear before you put your mouth in motion. Uh, tearing down other people, causing them pain to deflect responsibility. I have a couple of my own kids sitting in here, but we would walk into a room and what we had told them not to do was done. And you know what dad says? Who did this? I didn't. I didn't. And I remember. Can you guys remember? Are you telling your own kids the same thing? Yeah, well, whatever. It doesn't matter. The point is, I told them, if you did it, because I already knew who did it, because I'm sneaky dad. I know who did it. I said, if you say you didn't do it, that means you want me to punish your brother or sister. You want to get them in trouble. We don't think of it that way, but it's the truth. That's how it go. That's how it works. To deflect responsibility and to get out of self-caused trouble, not necessarily sin, you know, not something that's sinful, but just you made a mistake, and instead of fessing up to it, you lie about it. You know, it wasn't sin to start with, but now it is because you bear false witness and. Sometimes it's downright to promote evil. You just want to do what's wrong. Boy, don't you hate that? Because you know it's wrong, but you decide to do it anyway. And you know it's going to cause havoc every place you go. In other words, the opposite of this is we do it to benefit us so that it is self-serving, selfish, and negative toward other people. That's the bottom line. And what is the end result? Instability in any group of people, anywhere you go. So how do we do it? Well, outright lies. We just tell a big fib, just straight out. By silence, when we know what's right, people don't know the information, and we sit there and keep our mouth closed. You know, sometimes we open our mouth and we should keep it shut. And sometimes we ought to open our mouth and we keep it shut. I don't know how we get it all so backwards, but sometimes you need to speak up. Silence can be a form of deceiving people. By exaggeration, I already went over that one. We, we do that. Sometimes under oath. People do it under oath. Sometimes they withhold information. They know by telling a part of the story. I'll end with an illustration. Back when uh, my brothers and I were probably early teens, we somehow or the other got an, these are bad illustrations, but we had an infestation of rats in the chicken house. And uh, it was bad. My mom, obviously, I don't like rats either, but my mom really hated them and the chickens were her job. So my dad actually, once in his life, actually paid us to do something. He never, it's like, you want to eat? You want a bed to sleep in? Here, do this. That's how you work them when you're on a farm. But anyway, he offered us 10 cents a rat for every rat that we killed. So what, and he bought us the materials we needed. He bought little packets. They were about this big. On the outside, it literally said this, 99.5% fresh whole grains and one half of 1% of wafering. I can tell you how to tell a lie and try to get away with it. 
tell mostly truth and a little bit of a lie. Because if you tell one that's flat out just unbelievable, you get caught right away because it just don't, won't, it won't fly. But just like we did with the rats, you give them what looks really good, but just throw a little bit of deception in there. That's how you get away with a lie. By the way, don't go home and say, Pastor Paul taught us how to lie. Because I'm telling you, you're going to get caught. Be sure your sin will find you out. It'll take a little longer if you're really good at lying, but you'll still get caught. You always will. And if you don't get caught in this world, you still have to answer for it to God. It's just the long, you don't get away with it. We actually got, I believe, in one month's time, might have been a little longer than a month, we got 50 rats. Uh, they weren't fun. You had to go in and pick them up and get rid of them and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? We deceived those rats. You know, that's how we got them. At my house, we don't. At my, I said, at my house, I used peanut butter. And my wife goes, we don't have rats. And, and she was right. But this winter, we live in a farmhouse. Mice can get in every farmhouse. If you live in an old house, you know what I'm talking about. They can get in real tiny little cracks. We got two mice. I deceived them. You know what? I put out perfect meal for a mouse. Peanut butter in a trap. <laughs> and I got two of them this year. You know, my wife's all happy. She's like, Paul, there's a mouse in the trap. She didn't say, I'm going to take it out. She's like, Paul, there's a mouse in the trap, which means you go get the thing. But you know what? Let's face it. All of us, we kind of minimize this whole thing of bearing false witness. It's not that big a deal. I propose to you that God doesn't look at it that way at all. It is that kind of thing that can drive families, churches, countries. Instability, insecurity. I hope that when I talk to you, you can say, Paul has never lied to me and I can take him at his word. And you know what? I hope I can do that with everybody here and everybody I deal with. Because that brings, really, brings people together. Sin separates, and lies will separate about as fast as any other sin that you could ever commit. I hope it challenges you to think through what we do to make sure that we have a good reputation, that when we say something, our word is our bond. That's the way it should be. Let's all stand together. Father, thank you so much that you're a God that knows exactly who we are, and you know exactly what we need to hear. Thank you for providing that in the word of God. And Lord, I pray that we would now examine our lives to make sure that when we speak, that we are really witnesses, not false witnesses, of what is true and what is right, what is good. Lord, help us to make sure that we live in such a way that truth is our bottom line for everything that we do. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go with God.